1: plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's another Sunday edition of the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. It's Justin Cuthbert and Julian McKenzie for another week. Now, I was relieved last night, or at least partly relieved last night, because the Edmonton Oilers managed to win a game, which meant that we wouldn't have to talk about the Edmonton Oilers because, hey, at least the bleeding has stopped for a little bit. But we unfortunately have to address something that is far less exciting to talk about. Uh, in fact, it's it's pretty miserable to talk about. Um, and that's me saying that from where I'm sitting. And of course, Julian, you have your own perspective on it as well and and, and different way to look at it. So we're going to try to unravel that as best we can. But what it is that we have to talk about is two racist incidents uh, that happened in the NHL's two main feeder systems, I guess. I mean, the OHL, WHL, um, NCAA, sure. But in terms of professional hockey, the AHL and ECHL, there's guys under NHL contracts involved. So this is an NHL issue. And as I mentioned, two racist incidents, one from each league. First was Christoph Rabic, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, of the San Jose Barracuda, so the San Jose Sharks. Uh, main farm system or farm team. Uh, And Jacob Panetta of the Jacksonville Iceman of the ECHL. I believe that's a New York Rangers affiliate. So both of them uh, delivered racist gestures towards black players in the league. We have a suspension for Rabik, 30 games uh, for his gesture towards Tucson Roadrunners forward Boko Imama. Uh, He apologized for his actions. He said that he didn't anything racist by it which is another conversation unto itself that we'll get to for panetta this happened saturday night uh he deactivated or deleted his socials because jordan suban who was the person he directed the racial slur or uh, gesture at rather uh called him out on twitter uh this all comes about 10 days two weeks after the uh hockey diversity alliances tape out hate campaign launched uh, and while that was a powerful message, clearly it's not a message that it's infiltrating all corners of hockey. Uh, I've talked a lot right off the bat here. Uh, and I don't know actually how to send it to you, Julian, because uh, there is no real eloquent way to do so. But I guess how I will do it is just to apologize, to apologize that you still have to deal with this garbage as a black hockey reporter uh, and someone who still has to comment about this stuff Uh Which, you know, I'm not going to say it it sort of threatens your interest in covering this game at all. I'll let you speak for yourself, but I'm sure it makes it more challenging. So, like,
0: I'll I'll just throw it to you uh, and I'll do so with an apology. I appreciate the apology. Um, You didn't do anything, but I I do appreciate where it's coming from. Um, Just absolute ridiculousness, man. Like, it's just the thing that just makes this really infuriating to read and to hear about and watch the video in the case of uh, what happened to Jordan Subban is that it comes not too long after the HDA Budweiser ad campaign for tape out hate. Like we're, we're within like a two week window of the ad premiering on hockey night in Canada and, and people seeing it on social media beforehand and players who are part of that ad campaign discussing racial incidents that happened to them in the past, but also acknowledging that, they hear stories like as like like that happened this season to other black and, and other racialized players playing hockey who have endured stuff like this. I think not even long after, uh, the campaign even premiered, uh, there was a story that popped out of Prince Edward Island in in a, mm-hmm. in a minor league where uh, a player was subjected to a racial gesture and his teammate retaliated and was suspended for it. Like, it 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 was really sad to see that, and then to see. Within days, within two days, uh, back-to-back incidents at the pro level, Boko Imama, who was subjected to a racial gesture uh, from Brandon Manning in the 2019-2020 season, and I believe Brandon Manning was suspended for that as well. So this is not the first time, obviously, Boko has had to deal with something like this. This is not the first time the AHL has had to step in uh, and deal with someone doing something racist to Boko Imama. And and this Jordan Subban thing is just – like I, I can understand why people were looking at the video and they're trying to figure out what exactly was being done. Uh, I think Panetta, you see him. I think in like twenty something seconds of the video, he kind of extends his arms out as if he's like an ape. And I'm mm-hmm. curious if he went so far as to do noises or do anything like that. But you can kind of see with the raised arms and and what Jake, what Jordan, and, and even PK. We have to acknowledge the fact PK also acknowledged this too and tweeted this out. Like it's it's bad. It's 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 just really it's infuriating and like as someone who gets to cover hockey and I'm grateful for the opportunity that I have seeing stuff like this sometimes questions my place in in hockey and whether and how other people feel about me and other black people who play this sport and and other persons of color and if I feel the way that I feel I can't imagine what other casual or even more diehard POC fans feel about this like I won like I almost kind of feel like my concern and my and my anger towards this almost sort of borders on apathy now. Like, I'm just like, well, this is just how it is. This is just what happens in this sport. And if more and more racialized people feel this way, it's going to contribute to the downfall of this game. Like, it's, it's going to contribute to this game just continuing to plummet in interest levels in this country. Because like it or not, in Canada especially, we are a country filled with, different races at different ethnicities it's not just white people who live in windsor or wherever it's 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 black people who live in 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 parts of nova scotia or or mm-hmm. or indian people in in parts of southern ontario or asians who live in in or well, people of, of either south korean or japanese descent i mean who who live in in other parts of this country and west of 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 the country like it's we are a country of diver, of a diverse population and to see a sport like this continue to trump up these racist incidents, like I can't imagine uh, that be, that being appealing to you know more and more people who are racialized. It's just frustrating to explain. It's frustrating to see and 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 to go into the apology with with herabic. Like I'm tired of people saying they don't mean anything racist when they say something racist or do something racist. We think of racists as These old people who will just think racist stuff or say racist things and they're never gonna change their mind about how stuff is. We have to reiterate the fact that, like, if you do something whack, if you do something like what Christoph did, you're being a racist in that moment too. And you're you're showing your ignorance and you're being an idiot. And if you get called a racist in that moment, you know, be angry all you want being a racist like it's there's so many layers to unpack from it and you could have a whole other conversation about how people need to view the idea of being racist and how that should change this might not be the platform for it uh i'm sorry i wasn't more eloquent in my answer with this i normally try to be more but this is just way too frustrating to have to deal with
1: no i mean it's uh, I, I don't think you weren't uh it, but this is a difficult conversation uh you mentioned like what we see as or what in our heads we think is You know, the racist Mm -hmm. population—people that haven't been exposed to different cultures and so on and so forth—and hold on to those beliefs because they don't know anything else. Now I wonder, because this this isn't just a hockey issue, but it's rearing Mm -hmm. itself, rearing its ugly head in hockey more often than that, and it is because it's a predominantly white sport. I mean, there are people who. Have probably don't have black friends. Don't have didn't grow up with black people. And I don't know if Rabik's one of them. But you know, it's a a fellow that was born in in Czechia, the Czech Republic, has come over to play hockey. And I I don't know what the views are there. I, I know there are problems with racism in in Europe for sure. But this is probably someone who hasn't been exposed to the cultures that we were talking about, and that's. You know it's not like this isn't a xenophobic sort of uh, uh, argument. It's not even an argument. It's not not even really a point of view. It's nothing. It's just that there are people in this sport who have not been exposed to those cultures, and that's why and, and different culture. And that's why it's an issue in hockey that seems to come up because you watch the NFL yesterday and today in the NBA. It's just an amalgamation of different cultures and people that have come together. And there doesn't seem to be issues like that because there's an understanding and people know each other. In hockey, it is predominantly white. So when there is a black player and there is someone who's intolerant or doesn't know and holds racist beliefs or inherently holds those beliefs, this is when we get these issues. And I don't want to act like I'm explaining it, but this is a hockey problem for multitude of reasons. And that's one of them. There's just
0: not a, a built question. in tolerance, right? I have a question. How come, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, and other people can tell me if I'm wrong. How come when we discuss those people who are, you know, they come from these cultures where they're not exposed to black people and they mm-hmm. have no, like they're, they don't have them in their circles or they, they don't, they're not exposed to them enough or whatever. How come whenever we hear those stories of people doing racial gestures to those to 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 racialize people like it just so happens that those players in the moment some of those players in the moment they think in the moment hey i'm going to do ape or monkey noises to a black player how come it's how come we i haven't seen it maybe you've seen it i haven't seen it how come i've never seen a player a white player think oh i'm going to do an ape thing to another white player i don't think it happens nearly as much like I do think I it wonder, happens at all. I don't think it happens that much at all. You know, like, why is it that, you know, that comes up for these white players who do these racist things on the ice. And when they're like, we see chirping and we see fight people fighting back in hockey all the time, but we don't see people. We don't like white people who can always just fake ignorance. They, they know in the moment, Oh, Hey, I could do a banana peel back. To this guy, because I just for whatever reason I could think of it, but I you never th- see that done, or you would rarely see that done to a white player. Like I, 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 like you could you could, we could bring up the argument about them not being exposed to to black people, them knowing like yeah, like that definitely plays a part in it, and but they still learn. Some of those people still learn yeah. how to be ignorant, and be racist, and that's a huge problem, and that yeah, that is beyond hockey. I have to, I have to say people are going to be like, it's, it's, it's a problem that stems with society and their upbringing. And that is a problem in itself. Like that's like, you have to fix that and racism and that stuff is nurtured. That's not something you're just born with those people who are bringing them up. Like they teach them how to act like that. Like, it's just, it's disgusting. It's appalling. It's absolutely bullshit. Oh, I mean, it's swearing, but it is no,
1: no, no, it's, it's perfectly fine. I I think what it is, I think in hockey, in society, people that don't know anything about the person that they are suddenly angry with pull, whatever they can come up with. The only thing that they can see and the only thing that they know about that person is the color of their skin in some, some cases. And I do agree with you that there is, you know, deep seated racism within them to pull that out. I a hundred percent believe that. Um, but that's why I think it happens is because they, they're they trying to come up with something, that's what they see, and that's what they do, and they probably believe that as well. But what I was trying to get at with like the culture and, and people not being exposed to this and that, that just tells me that training is required. Because the natural training that you get in a NFL locker room or in a college uh, team, uh, either basketball or football, you do not get. When you're coming up in hockey and you so that means that they need to put something they need to implement something where you are being trained on what's right and wrong and what what uh, the problems are with racism and so on and so forth there needs to be a level of training in order to teach people the rights and wrongs because the natural uh you know tolerance, and that's not even the right word, but the natural sort of amalgamation between culture does not happen beyond European and North American when it comes to hockey. So I think that's a big thing. And that's, that's where I'm going with this, this point is that there has to be a level of training implemented across all hockey. And with that level of training, there has to be consequences when you're taught this, this and that, and that this is not right. And this is this is where you the the bounds you can't overstep. That you're not going to play hockey in this league if you cross these boundaries, and that needs to happen at the NHL level, AHL, ECHL happens in the it has, needs to happen in the OHL. And honestly, you mentioned the the thing in PEI. It's got to happen at the minor league level as well. If you take the opportunity to play hockey away from someone who does something racist, well, that's the an appropriate form of punishment, honestly. And if that's not being Uh, implemented and upheld at all these levels, then we're going to have incidents like this and we're still going to have them, but at least there'll be a punishment that is
0: worthy of the crime. In my, in my opinion, is that going to be sufficient because because of the way that the sport is and because of the fact that it's predominantly white. Like I think about the fact that yes, we need to find ways at the minor league level to implement these sorts of trainings, but we also have to acknowledge the fact that for a lot of these different places where hockey's a thing whether it's in the states whether it's in Canada or in Europe like they don't necessarily think about racism that much they might just think okay well we're just white people that's just what it is and they just have no clue how to handle that sort of thing right like I, I hope that those people at least can see that like training or being you know like, keeping being mindful of that sort of thing is something they have to think about I'm just thinking of communities who aren't who have not found ways to make the game more accessible to other racialized communities, or if those communities are just more or less predominantly white anyway, that like it it just, for whatever reason they haven't appealed to those demographics. It's there's, I think there's a whole other step that needs to be considered as well. It's not just, I I think you have to implement those programs, but also just, I think you have to, if maybe I'm not explaining this right, if I say it this way, but you have to find a way to see to it that some of those communities, even if they are not in communities that have a population of, of racialized communities that can get into the game they have to see the use for this as well my fear is just that like for a place like in toronto obviously it makes sense in the minor leagues that are there you have to have stuff like this because you're going to have different races and ethnicities get into the game mm-hmm. some small town of like a couple thousand people where maybe they have one minor hockey association and it's like 97 percent white like they might see this and be like, well, we don't need to do this. We don't need to implement this sort of thing. We don't need to teach our children about that because it's just white people who play. Maybe it's just a weird way of looking at it, but I'm, I'm just thinking of, of those at the lower levels who, for whatever reason, because of, of, of how they look, they might not see the use for it. We have to find a way to see that, like, hey, they know, they should know that racism is wrong because at the end of the day, if they end up going to the major leagues with, That type of thinking that, oh, well, racism is just okay or they just have never been taught that stuff or ignorance or they're just ignorant about it. That's also a problem, too. Like it's it's a grassroots level thing. But again, this is also just beyond hockey. This is something that like schools, upbringing with parents, like exposures to different people, like hockey alone can't solve this problem. This is very much a problem that is poisoned the sport of hockey. This is something that I understand is beyond that. But hockey needs a lot of help with with addressing racism and and ensuring that future generations of players don't have to worry about being subjected to racial gestures and slurs from opposing players. It's it's enough and it's disappointing and and a lot of work needs to be done.
1: Hockey cannot fix itself entirely and it certainly can't fix society as a whole. But an organization like Hockey Canada can implement training it can make sure that all of its coaches go through training. I mean, th- there is like a level of certification that you need to reach, I believe to coach at least a, a reasonably high level in this country. So, I mean, that should be a layer. This, um, uh, this sort of training should be a layer of that overall uh, training in, in which you're, you know, becoming a coach or, or coaching at a high level, but you're right. it's, it's on the federations. Like it's on hockey Canada. It's on USA hockey, but When you get to the professional leagues, it is a privilege to play professional sports. And the NHL has, you know, obviously ties with the HL in East Coast Hockey League or ECHL now that it just goes by. Like, they have the power to put these trainings in place and they have the power to put punishments in place. So if the warning is there and you execute on the threat of, hey, you're not going to play in this league again and you're going to have to go to the KHL because for some reason they become more desirable um, uh, players who are intolerant for the KHL, but that's another conversation. Um, But if, if, if it's a zero tolerance policy and it's a privilege to play in these leagues, then, you know, at least there's a step in the right direction. 30 games doesn't do anything. 30 games does not threaten this guy's hockey career, his profession, his way of making money for his family. Like it doesn't do anything. Now he could go home and play in the Czech Republic or Czechia. I'm sure But let's, you know, we can take steps towards fixing what's at home here and what's immediately in front of us. And I think harsher punishments, sure, training, warnings, like we need just more stricter uh, provisions in place here to limit and curtail some of this. Again, you're right. We're not going to fix everything. We're not going to fix society with hockey. That's for sure. Game's got to fix itself first. Um, But there are definitely things that can be done because right now, 30 games... It's just a slap on the wrist, really.
0: It that's what it feels like to me. But you bring up a really good point with uh, just the fact he can go play elsewhere and 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 all that. Like it just had me thinking about like I'm looking at Kristoff's stats right now. Like 21 games played this year, one goal, three assists, four points. This guy's going to be a career minor leaguer. Would you imagine if this guy was you know talented and junior and And you know, could be a really good player. Maybe he ends up, you know, like, but he had all these racist things in junior and all that. And even as he kept his way up the the ranks, there were just all these troubling things that kind of went around him and whatever. And then he ends up in some team and he continues to still be a piece of crap and still ends up bouncing around. Like the parameters as they are right now um, still allow for players like that, who a guy like Christoph Rabic minor leaguer, probably not going to play an NHL game. There are guys in the NHL right now. I mean, there's one I'm thinking of, and I think you could probably figure out who I was detailing when I was describing his upgrade. Yeah, I thought you were going there. Who, if yeah, if they're talented enough, NHL teams will give them a chance too. Like, it's that that's a whole other thing that has to get addressed as well. Like, 30 games definitely is nothing. It, if Imagine if the guy was 10 times more talented. 30 games, maybe the team that's That employs him might think, you know what, maybe we shouldn't have him on this team anymore. But if this guy was like 10 times more talented, man, there would be a bidding war for this dude. And that's also something else that has to be addressed too. It's the way that we kind of view talent and stuff like that. Like, it's that again, it's a whole other conversation for another day. But like, yeah, like 30 games for this guy is, is nothing too. I fear for another incident to happen with another guy who has a shred of talent who might end up seeing another being on another NHL team or another AHL team because they're talented. Mm -hmm. Like that's also another problem that has to be thought about too. Well that's where the League's got to take it out of teams'
1: hands because uh unfortunately, um again, you can't fix you can't fix hockey. You can't fix society. You can't fix every executive who might put something um you know that might put winning over doing what's right, right? But the league can do that. The league can put the um uh, implement the uh, protocols in place to avoid having players that do cross the line from playing in the league, and that's what it comes down to. So the federations, those in charge, the people that can make decisions, they got to step up here. Otherwise, we're You're just right. going to see keep seeing thirty-game suspensions and players like Boko Imama get continuously um, abused on the ice while he's just trying to make a living playing hockey, which is and, honestly and, the and worst for that thing guy. Ever.
0: And for that guy, I bet those two racial incidents that were addressed by the AHL, I'm willing to bet for him that's just like the tip of the iceberg. I'm willing to bet for that guy it is the tip of the iceberg. The fact that – like how rare is it that you end up being the victim of two racial incidents in one professional league, both suspended for – um yeah it's 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 ridiculous also another thing i'll add to and what's funny about this is that i brought this up in light of boko imama uh getting being subjected to racial abuse by brandon manning i I had written a story for for habs Habs, Habs, eyes on the prize for sp nation a few years ago like in light of stuff like this like we have to put the feet to the fire not just to you know have black players step up and or, or racialized players step up and be like hey you know what like you know we want to find a way to fight and make sure this doesn't happen we need to continue to put the feet to the fire for for white players people who would normally they're the ones who would normally do this sort of stuff not everyone obviously but they're the ones who are getting suspended for the sort of thing we have to ask them about racism we have to ask them what they're doing to ensure that their teammates their persons of their players of color uh, are, are being kept safe from this sort of thing and are stepping up in defense of them. And that has to happen too. This can't just be a thing where it's like, hey, let's get Boca's perspective on this or let's get PK's, or let's get Jordan's perspective. I want to hear from people, I want, like Bob Bugner, I think addressed it, uh for the san jose sharks in, in light of what happened with harapik after the fact the head coach well, well we know about bob boonger like he, there are other people in the in the hockey world who are, who are predominantly white we need to hear from as well and I, i'm happy to see that there are people in media who immediately denounced it but we need to continue to see that happen and those people at the end of the day need to ensure that the game is safe for for players of color in in hockey like that that also has to be addressed yeah, I know I'm who, touching off on of just a lot of random stuff here, but this is no, just
1: no it's, it's crazy. I mean if there was an easy way to solve this problem, it would have been solved already. But this is this is difficult. But whoever we'll will leave it here. Well, you can you can comment on if you if you like. But for those who can't make decisions, it's about awareness. For those who can make decisions, It's time to start making decisions that help prevent these things from happening again. So you can do your Mm -hmm. part regardless, right? Whether it's awareness, whether it's continuing to talk about it. I feel like we're heading in a better direction, even though this is steps back, you know, two incidents in the last week. Mm -hmm. There is more awareness to this. And hopefully it diminishes a little bit, slowly but surely. Well, hopefully fast. But hopefully there's less at the grassroots level and the minor league level because it's probably rampant, honestly. Decade ago, fifteen years ago, when I was playing hockey, not that I was ever subjected to anything that was really, truly meaning or you know, meaningful and deep seated and hurtful, but I've definitely seen and heard terrible things on the ice when I was playing minor hockey. I'm sure in your experience in sport, you have too, way worse than me.
0: But even, I in think, recrea- even recreationally, bro, like, like, exactly. we're talking like this. This all I'm not talking about high just- level. I'm
1: just that's what you hear.
0: Yeah, I remember people, like ball people take the
1: one thing that they can see and they try to get and they try to hurt you with that one thing, and that's like that's crazy. That is that is the crux of this. Like, there's yeah, certainly man. racism rampant in the world, but what it's when it's happening in sport, it's people are picking out that thing and then their real in, in intentions and beliefs come out. Yep,
0: and and we see it at the grassroots level, we see it on the way up to, but even recreational, that is also just like like stupid. I remember like, I, I've played ball hockey games where I've seen like, I, I, I like one of my best friends who is also black. Like I've, I was playing a game once and and I heard someone on the other team, like yell like racial slurs at them and they were completely broken by it. And it was one of the most, one of the worst things I could see. Cause that person is, doesn't normally get affected emotionally like that, but they were just broken by that. And it was absolute bullshit that had happened to him. So this is something that just like, it's 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 the fact that it just still we still deal with this. It's just it's disheartening, man. It's mm-hmm. it's really disheartening. So I really appreciate the apology off top here. I know you didn't have to do that, but like it's just it's good to see that people care. It's good to see that people stepped have stepped up in the last few days. have just said, like, no, this is not OK. And this is not something that we want to see in the game and maybe 15 20 years ago we would not have seen it we also might not have had the parameters to to have people voice their opinions like that but also like i think people are a little bit more aware of how this is a problem now and yeah. at That's the end of the day yeah and at the end of the day like you're right like i it's good that people are addressing this and maybe the next step and all this is that we'll maybe see a day where this happens less and less and less but I, until that day yeah. like i'm I'm just gonna to continue to feel upset and angry about these things when they happen. and it's it's disheartening for me. It's disheartening for other hockey media. It's disheartening for fans as well. And it's I feel for everyone right now who is deeply affected by this because I don't want to see racism in this game,
1: yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I'm hoping it's or you know, I'm hoping it happens less at the minor league level. And I hope this aware like people are this this sort of conversation wasn't being had fifteen years ago. so no. And racist acts and gestures were happening with frequency 15 years ago. So I'm hoping that, you know, the more we talk about it, the more awareness brought to it, the more parents, you and I are not parents, but this is a parenting moment, right? You see that a player got suspended 30 games for this and Jordan Subban subjected to what will be a suspendable act a couple days later. Like, It's time for parents to step up and say, hey, if you got a kid in hockey, you have to have a discussion about this. I'm sure you've heard things like that. But this is Mm -hmm. in no way something that's that's uh, uh, OK. And hopefully more of these discussions are happening, whether it be media, whether it be in homes, excuse me. um, And the more awareness, hopefully the frequency dives. It's, you know, we're not going to fix everything. It can't be fixed, you know, in Totally. Uh, but again, we can have less, fewer and fewer of these incidents if more people understand uh, how wrong it is and, you know, the, the consequences it has. As you mentioned, it broke someone, broke someone you know. Yeah, these, these, are, these are not just things that happen without consequence. They're very hurtful for the people that are subjected to it. So uh, I'm yeah. hoping people that can make decisions do, people that can bring awareness, continue to bring awareness, and we can slowly fix, not fix, but slowly diminish What's a problem that's really never going to go away in our lifetime?
0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Absolutely. I, I feel bad because we had this whole uh emotional and I have to admit, like I'm a bit emotional just thinking about this right now, and I'm just trying to keep myself together. But also, um, I feel for you because you host the show and we have to kind of break from this to talk about Jacob Chitran and Evander Kane as all the segue for Okay. Well, all right. Well, <laughs> I got you, man. Uh, yeah. Just the fact that you have to talk about other hockey topics and and make that transition over. Like that's not an easy thing to do, uh, but I'm also kind of looking forward to discussing a topic like Jacob Chitrin, which, which is what we're supposed to be talking about on these types of shows, not racism. Okay. Let's do it then. I mean, uh, you know,
1: not that, not that it really mattered, but it wasn't exactly the most, Uh, It was a pretty newsy week, but like I think we've touched on a lot of the things, whether it be zone time or on this podcast with the Oilers, with Kent Hughes, a lot of stuff going around in the NHL. Uh, But on this particular moment in time, nothing really compared to the discussion we just had and wouldn't compare anyway. But there are a few nuggets, 32 thoughts last night on Hockey Night in Canada. Had a couple interesting things in terms of player movement or potential transactions. You mentioned Chikrin and Kane. Those are the two we are going to talk about. Apparently there's rampant interest and there should be in Jacob Chikrin, although his numbers this year are absolutely horrific. I mean, we're talking about league low stuff, but I've always held the opinion that defensemen on bad teams are the most difficult to uh analyze and i think this is the case here because when he was playing on a good team his numbers were hey let's talk about him for team canada level when the nhl was still going to the olympics so a really valuable defenseman based on his performance and the fact that he's only being paid i think 4.6 million dollars for a couple more seasons i think till 2025 i mean this is a guy who can have a serious impact uh, this season and in the future here, so of course there's big interest in Chikrin uh, and Freeman and Merrick mentioned the Kings, Ducks, Bruins, Panthers, and Rangers as interested parties. So Julian, the best fit for Jacob Chikrin in your opinion
0: is? Uh, I thought about it, and I'd like to see him either on the Rangers or the Panthers. I think those two teams right now are are gearing up for some pretty big runs. I know the Rangers. Uh, I think a lot more people believe in the Panthers more than the Rangers do right now. And maybe this year for them, just getting into the playoffs and maybe winning a round would just be huge for them. Whereas the Florida Panthers, they've been knocking on the door of being a legit team for a couple of years now. And they need to start racking up some series wins. I think it's a little bit more urgent for them. But I still think those two teams in particular, uh, if you put a situation where uh, Chitrin is playing in 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 Florida. You ease off some pressure on on guys like Mackenzie Weger and Aaron Eckblad, for example. You put him in the Rangers side of things. Uh, I know they've they've got they're pretty loaded on defensemen there, but maybe a guy like Patrick Nemeth can just be a seventh defenseman, and you could put Jacob Chitrin in your top four of, de, of defenders there. Uh, I think those two teams in particular. Uh, not to mention, both those teams are 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 really good on their offense. And Jacob Chitrin in his best moments, is a really good offensive defenseman. Uh, I'm just curious about the asking price for him. Like in Montreal, we keep hearing about how Ben Chirot's going to go for a first round pick. Uh, for a guy like Jacob Chitran, who's like 23 years old, who was able to put the puck in the net as a defenseman, uh, Like people are bringing up the idea that like he could probably go for a similar return like when Brent Burns was dealt from Minnesota to San Jose. Is that something teams are willing to pony up for? Maybe the Panthers might because they might be a little bit more serious about trying to go on a cup run here. Maybe the Rangers look at what they're doing and they might just take a step back. Who knows? But I think those two teams in particular, uh, I think they might be the best fits for him. I can understand why Boston would be in Anaheim. I'm not as convinced L.A. neither just because those two teams are they're, they're doing well this year. I don't know if they if it's worth them risking all what could be out there reported for Jacob Trichard, Uh And that would essentially kind of accelerate their rebuilds. Uh, I think just the Panthers and the Rangers, where they are right now as teams, they could afford a little bit more to kind of sacrifice what's needed for a defenseman like Jacob Chitron, as opposed to a team like the Ducks and, and the Kings.
1: Yeah, I think the best thing right now for the Coyotes is that you can really cast a wide net. This is not a rental. This isn't where three or four teams might be interested in that You know, they're the ones that can compete for a Stanley Cup or believe they can compete for a Stanley Cup this year. I mean, you could go to a team that's, Two, three years away. You can go for a team that's getting ready for a run next year, perhaps, and that's why you can go from L.A. to Anaheim to the Rangers in Florida. Uh, two of the teams elite because this is a guy who checks off a lot of boxes for a lot of teams. I mean, I think the Toronto Maple Leafs should be interested in this player. I was I mean,
0: thinking if you were go- if someone was going to mention the Leafs, I was I would thought about them too.
1: Obviously, Friedman and Merrick didn't mention them, but at four and a half million or 4.6, I think this is a, like this is the exact player they need. And what's good about the Coyotes being a trade partner is they could take on something that could get you to that payroll situation, right? Like mm-hmm. the Leafs trading. Peter Morazic might be a necessary evil, maybe not even an evil, just might be a necessity at some point here. But doing it now and leaving yourself with no depth behind Jack Campbell doesn't make all that much sense unless you can get a goaltender back in return. But if they could dump $3.8 million of uh, Morazic, I mean, that's only 1.2 to make up, and that's easy. They could do that with a snap of the fingers, right? Travis Dermott goes that way. All of a sudden you have that money. Uh, Not that those are the two things that, the Arizona Coyotes would ever want. I think Rodion Amirov in a first-round pick would also be in that package. But honestly, what's the what's what is the Maple Leafs' window? It's through 2025, and that's when Jacob tricken's is going to be making under-market value for what is a number one or a number two defenseman. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he fits in kind of seamlessly on that team and would be a perfect fit. But again, the cap parameters are what they are, and that leaves you know. Maybe them on the outside looking in, at least in this discussion. I'm with you. Florida and the Rangers makes the most sense for this year. Uh, you know, These are two teams that could be gearing up for a cup run. The Rangers' defense would be very, very dangerous with him, uh, Adam Fox being a Norris Trophy uh, candidate, uh, Jacob Truba being that hard-nosed guy that uh, – that uh, what's, this, what's the, the – the, the owner's name is eluding is me right now. Uh, James Dolan, James Dolan, James Dolan wants that, uh, street fight style. Uh, (laughs) and of course, Keandre Miller, who's playing big minutes. I mean, that would be a really solid top four, uh, for the Rangers to build around with Gerard Gallant and in front of Igor Shostyukin, but the Florida Panthers, like, I feel like they're going to be the most aggressive team. They know what's in front of them. They know they have to get through the Tampa Bay lightning to get through, uh, to the third round in the Stanley cup, uh, final perhaps, Uh, This is as good as team as they've had in forever. They haven't won a playoff round in forever. And they have a little bit more financial flexibility than most teams because they pay their players, their superstars, less than most teams play their superstars. So I would be shocked if the Florida Panthers aren't very involved. I don't know if they have the same prospect capital as the Rangers, who can give up Vitaly Kravstov without really blinking because they've already decided they don't really have a plan for him moving forward. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, those two make the most sense. Um, but I think
0: Leafs make sense too. I think so. Uh, We didn't really talk about the Columbus Blue Jackets, who I think are in the same pile as the the Ducks and the the Kings in terms of them rebuilding. Uh, The Boston Bruins are pretty intriguing to me because their window, compared to the other teams, like the Rangers and the Panthers, shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. Like Patrice Bergeron's going to be a UFA. Uh, Who knows what's going to happen with his career? They just brought back Tuka Rask, who is still nearing the end of his career. Like... This is kind of like a last ditch. Like, this this has to work this year for the Boston Bruins. If they make a move for Jacob Chitron, that is them signifying they are all in on a run that could send them to the final this year. And if the Boston Bruins are in the playoffs, it doesn't matter – uh, how they look in the regular season. You have to think about how good this team could be in a postseason. If they get a guy like Jacob Chitrin, that could really help them and, and their defense as well, which already has guys like Charlie McAvoy. Like this is, this is a squad I think like maybe they're like the sleeper pick in, in the Jacob Chitterin sweepstakes. But, like, if they end up depending on how aggressive they are, says a lot about how they feel about this year. And I, I mean, I already kind of think that the Bruins should be looking at this as an all in year, considering what, what their team could look like next year. Mm-hmm. But no other way to cement that, uh, than going all in on acquiring Jacob Chichron before the deadline
1: feels like a Boston move. Chichron feels like a Boston player, uh, in a lot of ways. Um, so I could definitely see that happening. And they're playing really well. Uh, you mentioned it, like, they're just they're. They've been sort of hanging around in that wildcard spot all year, playing less games than everyone else, it seems. Um, but they're – are they still got a chance to win that division. Like, it is wide open oh, yeah. uh, in the Atlantic. There's four powerful teams, uh, and we have no idea how it's all going to shake down. I do think that's a decent move for the future for them as well, too, because they're going to be going through some of it – a bit of transition, certainly if Patrice Bergeron moves on, uh, and they're going to be looking for – you know, a a little like shot in the arm. And I think a guy like Chikrin at 4.6, 4.6 rather with McAvoy, with Marshawn Pasternak, there's still a strong talent base there. And a lot of players that aren't quite making as much as maybe they should. I think uh, McAvoy's extension does kick in soon though, and he'll be paid appropriately. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, you love seeing a guy like Chikrin available because he didn't have to be, uh, but the Coyotes are going that route, it seems, and that will spice up, the deadline for sure. Now this won't be a trade, but Evander Kane still looms. And we've talked about, you know, potentially bringing him in and what that may mean for the Oilers. They were the assumed front runner. Uh, And, you know, we could go, I, I, we've talked about this ad ad nauseum. Is it, does he deserve to be in the league? Probably. I I, I would say, I mean, uh, you know, until things are substantiated, it seems like they have been substantiated in a way that would at least give Kane um, you know, reason or grounds to still be an NHL player—it's more moronic than anything else. So that's the risk if you're a team is bringing in Evander Kane. As you, you might be dealing with some personal things there, or some you know the matters that might threaten the concept of team. But Washington feels like the sort of team that could absorb the impact of Kane. Now, I do think for whatever team brings him in, it's going to work in the short term. I, I feel like best behavior a few months in. It's whether or not you want to extend that relationship. So whether it's the Oilers or the Capitals or whoever, I don't necessarily think it's a bad move in the immediate term. And for a team like Washington, who is very talented, aging, but still has that Stanley Cup core, playing very well, a little bit of a dip lately, but still one of the teams that we could be considered, considering as Stanley Cup um, potential contenders. I actually think Kane makes some sense for Washington, and it's an interesting move for me.
0: Um, I'm going to reserve judgment on whether or not uh, Evander Kane deserves that second chance or not. Because you're right. Like there's still the investigations and all the other stuff kind of behind the scenes. We kind of have Mm -hmm. to think about here though. I have kind of made my feelings sort of known about the whole Evander Kane thing. If I was a GM, that being said, strictly just keeping with Evander Kane on the ice, I'm just going to try to keep that there. He would be an upgrade uh, at the second line position wing spot for the yeah. Washington Capitals. I think this is a team that they've been a really good team so far this year. Uh, this is also a team similar to what we were talking about with the Boston Bruins, where they sort of have to be all in this year with the core that they have and acquiring a guy like Evander Kane uh, would help provide that secondary scoring. Obviously you rely on a guy like Alexander Ovechkin and Evgeny Kuznetsov, but if Ev- Evander Kane, you put him on a second line maybe with Tom Wilson and, and Nicholas Backstrom, that, could be a pretty decent second line. So I see the fit with, uh, with the Washington Capitals, maybe a team like the Edmonton Oilers, even if though they won on Saturday, they might still need a guy like Evander Kane, but I see why the Capitals would be an ideal fit.
1: Well, it'll be interesting to see what he covets. I mean, I think Washington is the best chance for him to win. If that means anything, maybe the best chance to put up huge numbers is with the Oilers. If you're going to play with Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl, but you know, with Washington, like this is, this is a team with big personality already and defined personality. Like, are you going to come in and be larger than life compared to Ovechkin or even Kuznetsov or Wilson? Like, I just feel like you might need those personalities to bring in a big personality or uh, Mm -hmm. someone who has, you know, been abrasive and rub people the wrong way. So I feel like Washington can handle it pretty easily. Uh, And again, they need that extra bit. Um, Again, it could be like with the Oilers, with what they are and trying to find their own identity and trying to find something that works. Uh, It could be like throwing, you know, gasoline on the fire. If, if Vander Kane came in, but with Washington, I feel like they'd be able to let him fit in more seamlessly, at least in the short term. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see Chikrin and Kane where, and if they end up uh, anywhere else. Last topic. I mean, it's, It's meant to be kind of funny, but Justin Falk hating Canada. I found it funny as a Canadian. Uh, He was asked about... I
0: I saw this. I had no clue this was a thing. You're going to have to take me through this one because I had no clue this was a thing. You didn't
1: see this? Okay, so he was asked. I guess the Blues are going on a a Western swing probably through Western Canada. I believe they played in Seattle the other night. So uh, that was probably on their way. And he was asked if he was looking forward to going into Canada. I don't really know why that was a question. Maybe they knew he would be uh he would provide an entertaining answer but he said just simply and you know deadpan i'm not looking forward to going to canada one bit um he said asked why he said i like where we're at in this country so we'll go with that now you could bring in the politics here you know we probably don't have to go that route um but i mean it's kind of simple it, this is this is a guy who's playing in a market that is And in a country that is kind of wiped its hands clean of COVID a little bit while in Mm -hmm. Canada, there's still major restrictions, mask wearing, uh, no fans in in most of the arenas or at least 50% capacity in some. Like it's not actually a great time to be in Canada. I'm living and you're living in Canada right now and it's not what Canada should be. It's it's a very uh, muted version of what Canada should be, which is. Uh, you know, a place where there are not restrictions, but there are a ton of restrictions right now. So I don't know if, you know, he just loves going out for dinner on the road or loves playing in front of fans. I'm not really sure why he's so passionate about it, but he does not want to be in Canada. Uh, and
0: we'll let everyone else draw their own conclusions, I guess. Well, I'll say this, like, like I, I think on its surface, like you can understand why it's like, a, <laughs> yeesh. yeah, you can understand the humor in all this. But I think if you really look deep at that quote, there's a lot on this. There's a lot beyond the surface of that quote. I think of uh, one story I got to like read uh, for one of my colleagues at the Athletic, uh, Marc-Antoine Godin, Arpin Basu. They were talking about uh, Jeff Petrie, uh, who is from Michigan, and his family, uh, they've decided to just kind of go from Montreal just to be in Michigan uh just i guess for the rest of the year i don't know how long that'll go but like that's essentially they decide you know we're not going to stick in Canada anymore Mm. we're just going to go back to the states and in that article that, that they wrote as well they've talked to agents and stuff and they've they didn't necessarily go on record with their names but they've heard some stuff from people being like hey you know what like if it comes time for me to play for a canadian team as we continue to go through this like there's some serious reservations on that and if we continue to go through what we're going through with, with COVID, which it looks pretty likely that we will, and it's, it seems pretty likely that the restrictions will kind of vary as they've been over the last little while in Canada, if you're an NHL player hitting the free agent – if you're an NHL player not even just hitting the free agent market, if you're hitting the tra- – if you're, you could be traded at the trade deadline and a possibility comes up for you to play for a Canadian team, do you say yes to that? And one team I'm thinking of in particular – The Edmonton Oilers, I understand Alberta, the the restrictions are a little bit looser than others, but like a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury, do you want to go play in Edmonton? Uh, We mentioned Jacob Chitron playing in Toronto. Do you want to go do that when, you know, not only can you stay in America, the Florida Panthers uh, who play, uh, uh, Jacob Chitron is a native of Boca Raton. Uh, Why would you go (laughs) play for Toronto where you could play in front of maybe 500 people, where you could go play in Florida, where they don't even know what COVID is, you know, like yeah. not to make light of the situation, but there are players who are definitely thinking about it. And the longer that we continue to go through this, uh, the more pause I think it'll give for players about the possibility in playing for a Canadian market over the next few years. This is something that could very well, and, and it remains to be seen, I guess, but like this is some COVID could continue to have ramifications that affect Canadian teams and players want to play for them going forward. Justin Falk is sort of saying the quiet part out loud here. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he's sort of uh, you know, he he's not he's, he's not talking outright, he's sort of saying it uh without saying it. I mentioned you did. He did say the quiet part out loud, but like I think this is like pointing to, you know, the general feeling that most players have and they're frustrated. Like they're they just are so sick and tired of their current real, uh, reality and it is a lot better in the United States, at least in terms of them being able to be quote unquote normal NHL players doing normal NHL player things. And they understand that it's a different world in Canada. And I feel like you're right. If given the decision, why would you sign up for all the stringent testing, the stress on your family, the isolation that others, uh, that people will have to deal with when they're stuck at home? You and I are dealing with it right now. And the one thing he said is that he's on holiday. He's on holiday. And what on holiday means is that he's done with testing for a while because he's had COVID. And most of the players in the league are on holiday. But only the players playing in American markets, I think, can enjoy their holidays. And I think that's sort yeah. of what he was getting to.
0: That's fair. And after the All-Star game, it looks like he doesn't have to worry about testing all that much. Unless he somehow has symptoms too. So, yeah, it's a... Bit of an interesting thing. I think just Justin Falk just essentially just kind of said what a lot of NHL players might be feeling with regards to playing uh what or even considering just being in Canada at this point. Uh, I'm not gonna get into the other whole thing with COVID and all that. I'm not gonna go into more of that, but it's just he sort of just said I think he said something that a lot
1: of players are thinking. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how bad it would be to just, you know, play a couple games in Alberta, to be honest. But uh I don't know. I, I, some I think don't I like it. I think he wanted to make his point, which was that um, the situation that they're in maybe doesn't need to be as strict as it is. And of course, uh, the Canadian government in Canada and the Canadian teams are having um, a pretty sizable impact on the restrictions and and, and how the league is operating. So that's probably where it's coming from. I will say the fact that most players are on holiday and got through COVID and had COVID, NHL has got a regular schedule. We're playing games every night. We're not... You know, canceling anything, it looks like we might be through this. The NFL stopped testing. The NHL plans to stop testing. I mean, the season's going to get played, uh, I think, unless there's a new variant that comes along and doesn't allow anyone to be on holiday anymore. Uh, Hopefully Uh, that doesn't happen. Hopefully we are through the worst of it, and hopefully Justin Falk can bear his few days north of the border. Um, Okay, let's do the tire pumps. It's where we bestow praise on people in the hockey world and people adjacent to the hockey world. And I'm taking that second part literally because I'm giving my tire pump to Evan McPherson of the Cincinnati Bengals, who not only hit a game winning field goal against the Tennessee Titans to go to the AFC championship, the Bengals in the AFC championship game, but apparently said to the backup quarterback who was was holding for him as he like got his last reps before kicking that field goal that well, it looks like we're going to the AFC championship game before kicking the winning field goal. This guy's a rookie, and he's so confident in his ability to not just hit a field goal. Like, this is a 25-yard chip shot, 52 yards in cold weather in Nashville. Not that cold, but cold. Not Lambo cold, but cold. And he's just that confident. And Joe Burrow had, you know, effusive with his praise, saying, like, the way he carries himself, that's what makes him a great kicker. I mean, if you're saying stuff like that, like, I got to give you your props. That's really, really, that is bold. That is audacious.
0: But when you back it up, uh, it makes it that much more impressive. Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals in the AFC Championship game. I love this story. I love how well this team's been playing. Uh, It's cool. This is a different team. Like, we've looked at the Bengals as a team that they might be one and done at their best, or they're just a bad team at their worst. Joe Burrow, maybe not overnight, but through the course of this season has changed the outlook and has changed how people will view the Cincinnati Bengals going forward. And we just have to see how they do in the AFC championship game, whether it'll be against Kansas city or against Buffalo, but Mm -hmm. Joe Burrow, man, like, and, and Evan McPherson, that's a great story. That's a, that's a great kick from him. Like that's, that's fun. There's a part of me that kind of wants to see the Cincinnati Bengals succeed. That's, that's really cool on his part. Um, my tire pump, uh, I'm going to go with the former option of the two that you presented earlier Goes to David Derney, once upon a time, uh, a center for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, in 2013, I want to say, I think he was going through a bit of a slump. And he got to obviously in Montreal, you know, if you're going through a slump, people are going to pointed out and they're going to identify that and whatever and you know maybe it might be a fan on Twitter it might be regular people how about the mayor denny Coderre? uh allo un billet site pour hamilton pour Dave david D'Arne, s'il vous plaît uh, translating that uh one ticket to hamilton once upon a time the canadians' HL affiliate was the hamilton bulldogs the mayor of the city advocated for that man to be sent down to the minors because he was not playing well and <laughs> on saturday uh, my colleague Scott Wheeler confirmed uh, a few names that will be playing for Team Canada's men's hockey team at the Olympics. David Dernais, who I believe is playing in the Swiss League, is on that list. So you go from the doghouse in Montreal to being an Olympian. Uh, I think that is a funny and hilarious story. Uh, I, I think David has since acknowledged that, and, and I'm, I'm not sure he has much to say to Kader, who, by the way, obviously no longer mayor of Montreal, uh, was uh, recently lost another election, uh, by the way, to Valerie to repeat repeated as mayor. And David Derna is about a couple of weeks away from playing for uh, Team Canada at the Olympics, which is something I did not think would happen uh, around eight, seven, eight years ago, but it looks like we're going to be seeing it in February. So uh, my tire pump goes to David Derna for uh, being an Olympian for Team Canada's men's hockey team Years after the fact, uh, the mayor of Montreal advocated for you to be sent to the AHL. That's it's
1: a wild story. I mean, that's uh, it's a weird mix of the future and nostalgia with Team Canada. It seems with guys like Owen Power and Kent Johnson and Mason McTavish likely to go, and then old guys we didn't think we'd ever see again, like Eric Stahl and David DeHarnay. Uh, I it was a David DeHarnay guy growing up. I thought he was. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just the name. It's, it's a
0: cool okay. Name. He's cool. He played with Max Pacioretty. He did pretty well on that line. He was he was okay. I think a lot of people just expected more from him. But there was a guy who was playing in the ECHL and then worked his way up to, yeah, to I being thought, the first I thought they got NHL a decent player. amount
1: out of a guy that uh, wasn't yeah. necessarily a sure bet. If you mention the ECHL, I mean nothing nothing surefire about that. So uh, you know, a couple guys that never would have ever been in the Olympic discussion are going to be Olympians, and others that maybe are in future Olympic discussion will get that box checked a little bit early when Canada names its team for the slightly underwhelming Beijing Olympic Games. Uh, let's leave it there. Yeah. Yeah. A couple football games today, a couple football games yesterday. We got the NHL going into overdrive with a bunch of games scheduled for most teams. Uh, Here at the end of January and February bookending the all-star break. Uh, We will have more on zone time and next week on the Yahoo sports hockey podcast.
0: Peace. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather emergency or time of day, you're the ones who get it done.